Welcome to Your Health Guide, your how-to prescription for better health, translating cutting-edge research for your everyday life. Join naturopath and health educator Lawrence Katsaris for practical tips and insights to help you on your wellness journey. Welcome back to Your Health Guide. I'm Lawrence Katsaris and I'm joined again in this episode with naturopath and researcher Joanne McNeil. Joanne and I discuss the low FODMAP diet that's becoming common and found to be very effective for treating IBS and IBS-like symptoms such as nausea, bloating, cramping, diarrhea or constipation. We'll talk about what FODMAPs are, what foods they're found in, and why reducing them can be helpful if you suffer from IBS or IBS-like symptoms. But we'll also discover how avoidance of these foods is not the answer long term, and in fact too long on a low FODMAP diet could actually be harmful. Joanne walks us through the importance of working with particular aspects of gut health so that we can start to tolerate and reintroduce FODMAP foods again and why it is so important that we do this. So we're here now to talk about low FODMAP diet and how these FODMAP foods can actually be contributing to IBS-like symptoms and gut symptoms in people. Now, I find that the low FODMAP diet is something that has developed and in Monash University in Melbourne and a diet that's been found to be really effective for IBS-like symptoms. But do you want to start us off by telling us what is a low FODMAP diet? You know, what are FODMAPs and why does this diet kind of, what's its premise? Sure. Uh, so FODMAPs are a group of carbohydrates that are easily fermented or fermented in the gut. Um, so it, actually it's an acronym and it, start, uh, it stands for fermentable uh, oligo dye monosaccharides and polyols. And um, these are, like I said, fermentable carbohydrates and they're also quite large uh, carbohydrates so they can be difficult to break down. So they're... FODMAPs actually, it's not a, FODMAP isn't something that's in food, it's an acronym for these fermentable carbohydrates found mm-hmm. in different foods. Mm-hmm. And these carbohydrates should be fermenting, like they sh- we, we should be consuming FODMAP foods. Yes. And they, the fermentation, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that for ordinarily they should be fermenting in our large intestine. That's right. And that's really useful and I'll let you explain why that's useful. But in people who are reacting to FODMAP foods, they're finding that they may be uh, fermenting too greatly and probably too greatly in their small intestine mm-hmm. that's then what causes the problem so how does that whole spectrum work like it's beneficial to most of us why mm-hmm. is it causing problems in some people sure so these FODMAPs are typically really healthy uh, they act as prebiotics which means that they are broken down or metabolized by our beneficial gut bacteria uh, to produce metabolites in our gut that feed the uh, the gut lining that reduce inflammation uh, they're really really important mm. right um, and they also uh, encourage the growth of our beneficial bacteria in these individuals who can't tolerate them, like you alluded to, they're inappropriately fermenting them. Uh, it might be too much fermentation or in the wrong place, and it causes all sorts of problems for those people. What sort of problems are they seeing? <clears throat> yeah, so IBS-like symptoms, things like bloating, uh, diarrhea, predominantly with diarrhea, sometimes constipation as well, distension, pain can also be associated with that as well. So yeah, it tends to be those IBS-like symptoms yeah. and it tends, that's where I see most people have got onto a low FODMAP yes. diet is that, and they sort of saw this in some of the early studies is that those low FODMAP diets within two weeks were producing significant improvements. Mm-hmm. I think around about 75% of people with IBS were getting improvements in those early studies yeah. um, on a low FODMAP diet. So it's largely those IBS-like symptoms. I do sometimes see that those people can get 
symptoms beyond the gut. Like they mm. could get mood symptoms. Mm-hmm. They could feel fatigued, they could have um, brain fog, and they could even get sort of a bit of joint pain. And we'll probably get into a little bit of how that cascade happens when we start talking about treatment, no doubt. Mm. So most people would be considering a low FODMAP diet when that's gut-based, IBS-like symptoms. The thing that I see, though, is that people may get on a low FODMAP diet and they get improvements and then they stay on that, Mm. which isn't necessarily what we want, is it? No, I... Lawrence, so when we talked about how beneficial these are, right, they, they're really healthy. So we need to uh, in, make sure that we're increasing tolerance of these FODMAPs so that we can actually include them. Uh, they also, these FODMAP uh, containing foods, are typically really healthy foods. So not only are they feeding our beneficial bacteria, helping those grow, producing fuel for our gut lining, uh, really helping our gut health, they're also... Um, uh, they, these foods contain other nutrients that we really wish to, wish to include in our diet. So yes, we want to avoid them initially to reduce symptoms, but then we want to build tolerance so that we can then introduce them back in. Because they're, they're feeding our gut. They're yeah. feeding our bacteria. They're yeah. feeding our barrier. So important that we're having them. That's why you know they're often found, and we'll talk in a second of what common FODMAP foods can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, I think it's interesting we've seen these research where people who have stay on a low FODMAP diet too long, it causes detriments, doesn't it? Mm. It actually starves their gut. It starves their bacteria. Yep. And they start to produce more bad bacteria and they starve their good bacteria because their good bacteria is relying on those FODMAPs for feeding mm. them. Sometimes I think you can almost think about that FODMAP food almost like fertilizer or feeder yeah, for yep. our good bacteria. It's a good analogy, yep. Now, the foods that we're commonly seeing, you mentioned that they're in healthy foods, and this is what I'll, this can confuse people, is yeah. what are the, some of the common foods for each of those main groups of fermentable carbohydrates? Sure. Uh, so, like I said, there are, there's different groups of FODMAPs. Uh, so... <clears throat> Things that contain uh, some of those polyols, for instance, uh, like um, mannitol and sorbitol, they're, they're a um, type of polyol, and they're found in things like mushrooms and apricots. So a bit random, right, So mm-hmm. if, if you're um, reacting to those. Uh, then there's um, disaccharides like uh, lactose. Um, so a lactose intolerance is actually a form of FODMAP intolerance, uh, and that will be found, of course, in dairy. Uh, then there's monosaccharides, which are things like fructose, and that's in honey and our fruits as well, our fruit sugars. Then there's things um, like the oligosaccharides, fructans and galactans, and they're found in things like lentils and um, uh, other legumes and also wheat. Mm. So like lentils is a classic example. Some people can notice a little bit of bloating Mm. and even a little bit of gas and flatulence from eating lentils, but that's because the lentils are are feeding that bacteria and they can cause a bit of fermentation, which is where you get that, you know, that sort of gas from that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in some people, they're getting those same results when they're eating, you know, watermelon and they're getting the, the, the FODMAPs from there. Now... You're saying dairy, so some people who may be sensitive to dairy, it can be the lactose in there and it could be because of the the FODMAP issue. Mm -hmm. And also I know that wheat has got your fructans in it and there's a little bit of controversy or questions around people who are reacting to wheat about whether it's gluten or whether it's FODMAPs. That's right. Do you want to just walk us through that? Sure. So a lot of people these days are avoiding uh, gluten-containing grains and um, often it's uh, attributed to the gluten in those grains, right? So things like wheat and rye and spelt, um, they all contain gluten and people remove them from from their diet and they often actually experience quite significant reductions in symptoms. Uh, And because gluten is so well known, they blame the gluten. Uh, Sometimes it is that, but 
actually more often than not, it's the FODMAP, so the carbohydrates in these grains uh, that are causing them symptoms. And that's been shown in studies uh, where they don't know whether they're eating the uh, FODMAP or the gluten, and most people react directly to the FODMAPs and not the gluten. Yeah, it's very interesting. And not to say that people don't react to gluten. Mm. There's a lot of people like obviously celiac disease. People yes. have an autoimmune yep. condition, they're reacting to the gluten. And some people do have gluten intolerance and they are reacting to gluten. Yes. So that's definitely real. But some people are avoiding gluten and through that process are actually removing a lot of large FODMAP foods from their diet, like mm-hmm. their bread and their wheats. And then their symptoms get better and they think it's the gluten, where what you're saying is that could actually be the FODMAP. Yeah. And the danger is there that, uh, you know, and I see this in practice, when they remove these gluten-containing grains and they do get significant reduction in symptoms, but not complete reduction. They're still experiencing some gut symptoms and that is likely due to the other FODMAPs that they're not eliminating uh, and they're not eliminating or um, addressing the primary cause of that intolerance either. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is kind of the defining point. Like if people Mm. are thinking they're removing gluten, if they're doing a pretty good job at it Mm. and they're still reacting, it's worth, that's where, you know, our practitioner can start to look at, well, when are those reactions occurring? And it could be, it's because they're eating a meal that's got other FODMAPs in it and they've pulled out their bread, large FODMAP load, Mm. but they're still getting some broccoli and mushrooms and onions, et cetera, in that meal. And those FODMAPs there are starting to cause their symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so those symptoms that are still lingering around, IBS-like symptoms, even though you've removed gluten, probably likely that it's FODMAPs causing the symptoms. Yeah, that's right. And you're never going to get to the bottom of it if that is, continues. Um, the you know If you're continuing to eat these FODMAPs and reacting to them without addressing that, that root cause of the intolerance, then you're causing more immune activation and inflammation, uh, and that's just going to make the situation worse. Yeah. So we really want to remove these foods, fix the problem, and then slowly introduce them back so that we can get increased intolerance. Okay, great. So if someone's not aware that it could be FODMAPs that's causing the problem, indications would be you've got IBS-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. I tend to hear that people react to, they sort of think they're reacting to all different foods because mm. as you've indicated FODMAPs are kind of hidden in like a bunch of different foods like fruits and vegetables and yep. grains and so they're not able to see the common denominator across those mm-hmm. I'll often hear from people that they're reacting even when they eat a healthy meal yeah. and it's because well those vegetables and you know often for a lot of people vegetables tend to be what constitutes a healthy meal yep. and those vegetables are causing those symptoms and so they're still reacting to that so if you suspecting that you're reacting to FODMAPs an easy way is is that IBS like symptoms there is a on the internet so you can find easy ways to find like a low FODMAP diet Mm. and you can just reduce those and tend to be within a week or two weeks people will see significant improvements but as you're saying that's not where you stop because even if you are on a low FODMAP diet all you've done is you've actually just stopped what's causing and triggering the problems you haven't fixed or causing the symptoms you haven't fixed what's actually causing the problem that's right so how do we go about improving that? Yeah, so we've spoken about the um, that acronym DEBI before, so mm. these layers of the environment and the gut uh, and the, the body um, that we need to address. So that's the diet, which we've spoken about, right? Um, the enzymes, bacteria, barrier, and immune function. So we want to address the diet uh, primarily, um, or first and foremost, sorry, uh, to reduce those symptoms and get you know significant symptomatic improvement. Because otherwise, I mean, you can probably hear in the background right now, it's raining pretty heavily. Otherwise, essentially, <laughs> it's sort of like, I always like to use this analogy with patients of saying that 
if you're pulling out the FODMAP foods, it's like you've got a, a leak in your roof. Yeah, yeah and that's a good analogy. It's, it's not leaking anymore because it's not raining. Yes. And you can go, oh, we'll fix the problem. And then some rain can come around like right now. And then all of a sudden symptoms about again. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, well, what you need to do is it's hard to repair your roof if it's still pouring with rain. Mm -hmm. So pull that out. Yeah. But then we've really got to go through and go, well, let's not just hope it doesn't rain again because FODMAPs, as you're saying, are beneficial. Mm -hmm. We want to be making sure that they're in there because mm -hmm. they need to feed the gut. They're really important for our gut health long term. So what we've got to do is we've got to fix the roof. Yep. And fixing the roof here is supporting those enzymes, supporting the bacteria, supporting the barrier, supporting the immune system. And those enzymes are particularly important because we're not, these carbohydrates should be fermenting, but they, if we're not breaking them down properly, mm. that's then when we start to worsen some of that fermentation, isn't it? Can that's you walk right. us through some of that, the importance of that enzyme function? In, and the, well, I guess the enzymes and the bacteria are really closely tied in FODMAPs, isn't it? Yeah, they are. Um, so we, we should be breaking some of these down or cleaving these carbohydrates into smaller, easily digested carbohydrates, right? And then um, we should also be fermenting them in, in the appropriate places in the appropriate amounts. Um, so a good example of one of the enzymes that we're probably um, more familiar with is lactase, which breaks down lactose. Um, and if we don't have enough lactase, right, we get symptoms of lactose intolerance like diarrhea. So we really need to ensure that we've got adequate enzyme production so that we, um, you know, break some of these carbohydrates down. Then we also need to make sure the bacteria are, you know, um, in a healthy composition and function as well. So in terms of that bacteria, though, there's also probiotics that we can be using that specifically yes. help with this, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So when I am treating someone in practice and they come in and they've got uh, IBS-like symptoms and I think suspect that they might be reacting to uh, FODMAP, in their food there's two strains that always stand out to me so there's um, lactobacillus plantarum 299v which is um, has been shown in the research to really support symptomatic reduction in people with IBS-like symptoms um, so it can reduce the bloating uh, and some of the um, changes in stool function so diarrhea constipation and also the pain so as you can imagine that would give um, you know, improve people's quality of life. The other one uh, that we want to think about is Lactobacillus rhamnosus LGG. Now, this is an interesting one because it um, it helps us break down. So not only is it changing, improving the composition and function of our gut bacteria, so making it more healthy, um, it's also helping us with that enzyme um, or the breakdown of these FODMAP foods. Which is amazing because, yeah. <laughs> like, a probiotic is helping to support the digestive system in doing what it should be doing mm -hmm. and again the importance about using specific probiotic strains yes. because a standard lactobacillus acidophilus isn't going to help us do that mm -hmm. or you know, you're talking about the lactobacillus plantarum 299v that's going to help with the symptoms mm -hmm. it's going to help decrease some of the inflammation there's ibs like symptoms um but the lactobacillus rhamnosus GG, the LGG, it's going to help us metabolize and break down those, those FODMAPs. Yeah, that's and right. then the LGG also helps to rebuild some of our inherent and native good bugs as well, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know what? It also improves our immune function, so it's improving tolerance as well. So working across all, all the boards there. Yeah. Fantastic. So looking at supporting the digestive health through probiotic supplementation mm -hmm. no doubt there's a place to be looking at supporting those enzyme production so Absolutely. we're stomach acids so we're breaking down those carbohydrates then we also need to be considering that is there too much bacteria in the wrong places we talked before about the fact that 
maybe for some people they're hyper fermenting those carbohydrates mm. in their small intestine mm. there should be limited amounts of bacteria in our small intestine there should be a lot more bacteria in our large intestine mm. if you've got too much bacteria in our small intestine those fermentable carbohydrates when they meet that bacteria in their small intestine they start to ferment because that's what the bacteria is going to do so in that individual maybe it's about removing that excess bacteria that's in their small intestine mm. that could be there because of um, poor gut health post-infection etc antibiotics antibiotics <laughs> yep yep and any other factors then we're looking at for working with improving that tolerance to FODMAP so that we can start to reintroduce those FODMAPs again uh, yeah, so I, I think you've, I just really want to reiterate that importance of the infection because that's something that's really common in practice that you'll see and a practitioner will really be able to nut that out and um, determine whether that's really uh, appropriate in your case. So mm. that's where seeing a practitioner is really, really beneficial because they'll be able to get to the cause of that. Yeah. Um, I was just saying, yeah, as, as it's so important that it keeps coming back yeah, to yeah. what's the cause of it, right? And a lot of people, you, you're completely right, a lot of people may start to react to these foods, that kind of yeah. post-infectious IBS is called it. So yeah. Maybe they had a bit of food poisoning, a bit of gastro, maybe they took antibiotics. After that, the gut wasn't quite right. And that yeah. progresses over maybe six months a year. Then the accumulation of added compounded effects like stress yes. to it etc yeah. then it starts to really compromise those layers of debbie and the gut and immune health and then all of a sudden this person starts to be reacting to these FODMAP foods. Yeah, and that's, that's you bring up my next point is stress. That stress is such an important factor in this. A lot of people with IBS-like symptoms will experience uh, significant flares when they're stressed. So again, that's where a practitioner can really help to assess the case and see which is the most important priority to address and also help you address things like stress and reduce the, those drivers, those triggers of, of intolerance. Because when we're stressed, where you know you mentioned enzymes, when we're stressed, we're not producing sufficient enzymes. That mm -hmm. could then be start to inhibit and reduce our ability to break down these carbohydrates. That's right. When some people are stressed, they start to get constipation. That then means they're not moving the food and their bacteria through their digestive systems they should be, which could put them at an increased risk mm. of reacting to FODMAP foods mm. and also that feed forward cycle as we often see where when they're stressed that person then could be creating more of a likelihood to become reactive to foods mm -hmm. or that person who's already reacting to, to FODMAP foods then you add stress to that they're already primed because of the reaction to the FODMAP and the disruption in their barrier layer, their bacteria and their immune function. They're already kind of on guard and likely to, to cause a, some gut symptoms. You add stress to the pile and then that person starts to get a flare up of their IBS symptoms, isn't it? That's right. And, you know, lastly, I, again, I want to reiterate the importance of reintroducing these foods back, right? So, um, we've spoken about how beneficial these foods are for long-term health, for the health of our bacteria, for the function and composition of the bacteria, and also um, it, it helps with the lining of the gut, so we want to, um, we really want to be eventually adding these back in. And again, coming back to the importance of a practitioner in this case, um, it, it can be really challenging to sort of uh, to do that yourself. So a practitioner can really help you slowly introduce these foods in a systematic way without uh, going back to square one and causing those symptoms um, flaring up again. And Joe, I think that gives a, a great summary of the situation. Just because we're reacting to those foods doesn't mean we stay off them forever. Mm -hmm. Making sure we're reintroducing them, working with a practitioner to make sure that you identify what the cause of the problem is, supporting all those different aspects of your gut and immune health through the enzymes, the bacteria, the barrier, and the immune system. And you know, by dealing with that, people can reintroduce it and have a healthy gut long term. I think that's uh, hopefully you know really educational for our listeners to understand 
the situation with FODMAP reactions. Anything else you wanted to add to that? No, I think we've covered it all. Fantastic. Thank you so much again for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Health Guide. Any resources or links discussed in the episode can be found at metagenics.com.au. To help you continue on your health journey, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you found this episode useful, please rate and review us. If you have any questions about how this information could relate to your health condition, please go and speak to your natural healthcare practitioner who can provide you with specific advice for your health needs.